Welcome to Talking Late Night, where we spotlight top comedians and their late night influences. Here's your host, Max Cantor. Hey everybody, and welcome to Talking Late Night. I'm your host, Max Cantor, and today is a guest. It's someone I actually saw do stand-up for the first, uh, I saw her do it for the first time just a couple weeks ago, and what's crazy is I saw her perform the stand-up, and I knew immediately that I wanted to interview her, but by the end of the stand-up set, I was so intimidated by her because I knew all about her accolades and where she had came from that I was like, you know what? I'll wait a couple weeks, and then I'll email her. So that's what I did. I emailed her. She said yes, and I'm super excited to talk to her because not only is she a comedian who lives in Los Angeles, but she trained with Second City and IO Chicago in improv and toured with Second City all over the country. And when it comes to stand-up, she's performed stand-up all over the world. And on top of all that, she wrote and premiered her very own play at St. Mary's College. So I'm excited to talk to her, excited to learn more about her. Please welcome to the show, Casey Whitaker. Welcome to the show, Casey. Oh, thank you so much, Max. Uh, I I just think it's crazy because, like I said, I saw you perform stand-up and it, it the way you were introduced, you know, they said that you were with Second City, so everyone got very excited. And your stand-up was like nothing I had ever seen, and I just loved it so much. Um, so, oh, thanks. So, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you and, and learn of how that all developed and how you got the that character of your, yeah. your stand-up routine. Uh, but to jump right into the interview, um, let me ask you, growing up, what late-night shows influenced you in your comedy? Oh, I can't, I want to say, I, I didn't really pursue or notice comedy or think about it too much when I was growing up, actually, like, influenced, of course, by, like, cartoons. Um, I will say, though, that, like, uh, the Chelsea Lately show, I'm not really into, like, pop culture um, comedy, but definitely her persona and her point of view when she was interviewing people um I maybe I watched that more than the others yeah I an SNL of course Mm -hmm. so you were yeah Chelsea lately SNL and you mentioned cartoons right yeah I mean when I was little I would just like tape Bugs Bunny and all the Looney Tunes and then just watch them over and over and over um so yeah. So when you watched it, when you watched it, were you watching for because you thought it was funny, or because it was just entertaining, or that's because what kids watch? What what drew you to cartoons? I guess because it was funny. I mean, I always say when people ask like why I did this with my life, you know, I always sort of jokingly say, "Too many people wrote you're the funniest person in class in my yearbook." You know, uh-huh. uh, I very early on realized that I didn't really fit in, but if I could be the class clown, then people from all the different stereotypical groups accepted me. Um, so I, yeah, I was definitely a class clown from like second grade on mm-hmm. and, you know, accepted that as my identity. And even in college, I would go out for the dramatic plays and I could never get a part. But if it was a comedy, I would get it. And I just kind of started owning that instead of running away from it. Um, So, yeah, it really wasn't until college that I, like, 
really fully went for the comedy in the sense of, oh, maybe I can do this professionally. Mm -hmm. So you said you realized in like second grade is when you started Uh becoming that class clown. Were you bullied at all or ridiculed for trying to be funny or did your classmates support you? I think they supported me. Uh, I remember in second grade very distinctly, Mrs. Scalf went out into the hall and I just walked up to the front of the room and put on her glasses and started impersonating her. And the class just went nuts for it. And then I think from then on, I was just, okay, you know, this thing, you know, gets me attention and, you know, makes me accepted by my peers. So, and I enjoy doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. So you were doing impersonations. Did you come up with your own characters or you, you that's how you started? I think that's just how I started. And then, yeah, I love doing characters. Um, I mean, I was still a fairly good kid. I wasn't so disruptive. Um, I think Tina Fey always talks about in her book that, you know, the good girls get into comedy and they're successful at it because they're so disciplined. And I was very much a good kid. Um, but at the same time, I would never waste a chance to crack a joke in class or make some comment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when you, uh, you realize that you're funny, that's your calling. Did you realize, okay, I'm going to be a comedian or did you just think, Oh, I'm funny and I'm going to do something else. Um, I think I realized I was going to do, I was going to be a comedian. I mean, there's a few moments in my life where I was like, Oh, this was a sign or something. I mean, in eighth grade, we did a talent show and at first, I always wanted to be a singer, so I thought for sure I was going to be a singer, and I go up and I perform this song, and I couldn't hit all the notes, but I sold it so hard that I remember some mom came up to me after and was like, you're not a great singer, but you were so entertaining, and so that kind of clicked for me of like, okay, you know, there's something to that of being able to, you know, own a room like that. And then, um, yeah, I just started really going for that. Mm-hmm. And so you graduate high school. Where, where did you actually, where'd you go to college? University of Kentucky. University of Kentucky. So is, uh, yeah. is there a big comedy scene in Lexington, Kentucky? No. <laughs> um, no. And of course my parents, we're like, you need to major in something, you know, real, I guess. So they had this arts business program. So I enrolled for that, but you could minor in one of the arts. So I minored in theater, but then it got to the point where I was taking so much theater that I double majored and I kind of tricked them into paying for college while still kind of studying theater full time. Um, And then I went and did some internships in 2008 summer in Chicago and I interned for the producers and I found out about this comedy studies program. So I applied and once I got in, I left Kentucky a semester early to finish up my college career in Chicago at Second City um, doing a semester abroad. It was like 16 credit hours and all the classes were about 
comedy, um, from physical and vocal to context for comedy to the history of comedy. Um, and that's really when the first time I actually tried stand up. Um, so that was fully immersive. I really didn't know anything about sketch, um, or improv. There was no improv program at Kentucky. Um, when I got back that summer, after that summer, the first part of senior year, I tried to start an improv team on my campus and I think I still got away with doing like my senior project, um, where I just improvised with someone, which is so nuts that they allowed that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah, so I tried to start stuff, but there really wasn't much there. Um, but it really was comedy studies that kind of launched all of that once I was in Chicago. Now, that's crazy that you did that. And you're referring to the Second City Comedy Studies, right? Yeah. That's crazy that you say that because you're actually the second guest that I've had who did that program. Yeah. So So many of us did. That's crazy. Um, Yeah. Uh, How how did you find out about it? Um, So I was interning for the producers and – the two interns that were leaving and being replaced by me and someone else was Chelsea Devantes, who writes for Late Night, and Aidy Bryant from SNL. Wow. And they were kind of on their way out, and they were like, hey, tonight is our comedy study showcase. You should come check it out. So I showed up, and I watched it, and yeah, it was just sort of this life-changing thing when I realized that you could do this. I mean, now Columbia College Chicago that partners with Second City has a four-year major for comedy. You can like get a degree in comedy, which is so nuts to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was just that kind of semester abroad, um, and my class was filled with people from all over the country, all different schools, um, and it was just. I mean, yeah, it was just. I met some of the greatest friends of mine and. I was 20, 21, just like studying comedy full time with the people who like created Second City, like insane. Yeah, that is crazy. And and how many people were in the program with you? I think there was, there was like 13 in each class and there was two modules and we would just kind of swap teachers every you know, section. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my class, I think I only had like 11 or 12 classmates. Wow. So, it's, so it was pretty small. Yeah. It's super selective to get picked. Yeah. Yeah. And so the audition process for you to get it, cause you know, we were talking about of how small and how few people make it in when you applied to the program, did you have the self-confidence in your talents that you were like, Oh yeah, I got this. Or did you doubt yourself? Um, it was more of a, like, destiny thing. Like, after that summer, you know, Lexington's great. I loved my time at Kentucky, but not a lot of people thought like me. No one was really open-minded or liberal in the way that I was. So after that summer in Chicago, I really felt like I belonged in Chicago with people who, you know, had the same values as me. And, yeah, it was sort of a destiny thing where I just, my parents told me not to apply. They were like, just finish at Kentucky. We don't want to pay the extra whatever. And I applied without, without their permission because I just felt like I was meant to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And we actually didn't have to do a 
actual performance audition, you wrote like an essay about comedy. I forget the question. I'm sure I have it somewhere. Um, and then, yeah, I got the whole first semester of senior year. It was me just checking my mailbox to get the acceptance letter from Ann Libra, who ended up being one of my men- mentors. Um, so yeah, it just kind of felt like destiny. And then same when I was there and I went to go see a touring company or a main stage show, I watched it and I was just so inspired, but also filled with this purpose and this destiny thing again. I don't want to like, that sounds crazy, but it's like, oh, I can do that. Um, right. So I guess there was some confidence in it, but also I was very realistic about how long that would take, how many times I would have to audition. The training, you know, I took all the training after comedy studies in conservatory and all of that. Um, but it just felt like I had to do it. You know, when people ask, why do you do comedy or acting? It's like, because there's nothing else I can do that gives me this much power and excitement. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Wow. That, that's super cool that the, the destiny that was behind it. That's very cool. Um, yeah, that, that program's amazing. Like I said, um, I learned about it and I believe, I, I believe it was my guest, Joe Quazala, who said he did it. Yeah. Yeah. I know Joe. Yeah. And, and he just like casually mentioned it to me. Um, he went to Notre Dame and he, he mentioned it and I was like, this sounds like the coolest thing ever to be invented. And I had never heard of it. Totally. And, and I looked it up and it's like for a comedian or somebody who wants to do comedy, it's a dream. It's paradise. Yeah. Yeah. It was unreal. So after you, you go to the program, cause you said it, it was your second semester senior year. So you graduate from college. Did you mm-hmm. end up moving to Chicago? Yeah, so I just ended up staying. Oh, okay. So I didn't even actually go back to Kentucky to walk because <laughs> the week of graduation was also the week at the end of comedy studies, you actually get to write and perform your own show on ETC, one of the stages. Wow. So I was like, oh, I'm going to do that and not go and like get my diploma. Like uh, they can mail it to me. <laughs> I don't know if my parents love that, but those are my priorities. So. Uh-huh. So I never went back. I just stayed. Wow. And so, so it doesn't, you sound like you have no regrets about that. No, no. I mean, there, but there was still plenty of failure. I mean, uh, after I graduated, you know, I knew all the teachers. I felt very at home at second city. I think for people who are moving to Chicago to pursue comedy, I think it's important to, figure out which one of those three spaces, Annoyance, I.O. or Chicago, really makes you feel at home. And for whatever reason, Second City always felt right to me. Um, so immediately I want to, I'm interning for them. I've never paid for an improv class my entire career. I just always interned my way through. So every Saturday morning I would show up and help people register for classes. And then I took conservatory writing program, musical conservatory for free. Um, But the first time I auditioned for conservatory, I did not get in. And I was crushed. I'm bawling on the phone to my mom. I'm blaming them for not supporting me when they had nothing to do with the audition. Just like my life is over, Um, which clearly was not true. Um, And then, 
the next year, Urban Next, it wasn't even, it was later that year, I think I got in. Um, I got a call back on my first generals and was hired on my second generals, um, which I had fully prepared to audition every year until I was 32, I think was my, my thing that I was like, okay, I'm going to keep trying this until that time. And if I don't get it, I'll go. So I was fully prepared to audition for generals, you know, eight more years. Right. But for, but for some reason, yeah, I got to, gosh, my first paid show was 2011. I was in a cast with Gary Richardson who writes for SNL now. Um, and Ashley Nicole Black, who's one of the correspondents on Samantha V. Um, just so talented. Everybody was. Um, and then I was touring by 24, 25, um, which I don't even know who I was at 25. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I'm a whole different person now, but I was so lucky that I got to grow up on the job and I learned so much on the job as opposed to, you know, now it's just so competitive that you kind of have to come to the table fully grown. Um, but at the time I kind of grew up on the job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. Um, but so insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you, you were so young, you're right out of college. So, yeah. So when you got, accepted when you passed through your audition when you were 24 Mm -hmm. is that unusual to have somebody that young or is that typically the age that where most people are auditioning i think second city has trends so at that time it was just after ad bryant had gotten snl so young i think she was 23 or 24 uh or she was like 23 when she got etc stage and then 24 or something when she got SNL. So I think they were kind of like, oh, let's hire babies and then train them on the job mm-hmm. to be Second City people. Um, but I think there, it's always a different trend. Um, you know. And then diversity and inclusion got really big, and they tried to make it that a priority, which is wonderful. Um, so it kind of just kept changing. But, yeah, I kind of got in right when they were looking to hire young, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I also say, you know, improv auditions are insane. You can't ever know what your partner is going to say if you've ever even met them. Like, there's so much anxiety because obviously you don't know what anybody's going to do or say and you can't prepare for it because it's improv. Um, I always say, though, that the year I got hired, I had more fun in that audition room than anybody else. And I'm not saying I'm more talented than anybody else, but I, I am saying that I was having the time of my life and that feeling and that energy, the producers just couldn't ignore it anymore. Mm -hmm. And they wanted to be a part of it because I was having fun. Like we get into that room and we lose half our brain and we don't have fun or be ourselves because we just want them to like us, you know? Mm-hmm. And if people can think about it as they have a problem, they need talent, I am the solution, as opposed to, oh, I hope they like me. If you can change your mindset a little bit, you're just so much more in control of that time. Um, and then you have fun. And then they want you in their theater because you are fun to watch. Right. Exactly. You know? 
Yeah, for sure. And yeah. it, it sounds like too, you know, it, it's not about, like you said, the, oh, I hope they like me. You go in right. and, and you got to be, you know, confident in what you provide, confident in your skills. And even like, like you were saying, even if you're not the best person, if you believe that you can do it and you believe in yourself, then they'll see that. Totally. Yeah. Because we're all good, right? Yeah. Everybody's talented. So then right. it's just, in this 20-minute time frame where I'm going to get a suggestion and make it up, how do I at least mentally prepare myself a little bit better to try to be more in my body as opposed to so nervous that you can't make words, you know? Right. Yeah, definitely. Um, for, yeah. The, for the audition, um, how, does mm -hmm. it, how does it work? Because you mentioned um, like doing it for producers and having scene partners, but what are you actually doing and what are they judging you on? Yeah, so the first, um, the actual general is just improv and they'll call your name and somebody will join you for two-person scenes. Mm -hmm. Usually in those, they're just looking for you to play close to self. Obviously, with all of those things that we've learned with the yes and and keeping it about the relationship as opposed to plot. Uh, and then there's a quick little freeze tag at the end where people showcase a little bit more of their character work. Um, and then for the callback, I mean, eight or nine hundred people come out, 40 people get called back a year. So very, very slim odds. It's like winning the lottery. Mm -hmm. um, but if you get called back, you do a archive scene and there's a second city director that spends some time with you and your scene partner. And then you kind of do a cold read of those plus maybe a montage improv um, where people are going up in groups of 10 and you're actually doing a longer piece where you're showing off your editing skills and your walk on skills um, So yeah, that's sort of the gist of it. It might have changed. That was like, eight years ago now, but that's kind of what happened. Um, yeah. Do you remember the feeling that you had uh, at your very first show as a performer at Second City? Yeah. I mean, every time I touched any of those stages, it was special. You know, when you're on main stage, they have put up, um, important second city fathers and mothers um, up above the lights above your head. So you can really only see them from the stage, but it's Joyce Salone and it's Sheldon Patinkin and it's Bernie Solins and the people who built this place. And I never, ever took for granted a single day that I got to be on that stage. I would always look up and see their headshots, you know, their portraits and, I mean, so, so very thankful for that time, uh, let alone all the people I got to tour with. And I mean, there's 10 states I haven't seen because of touring. Mm -hmm. Like, I've seen the entire country. Mm -hmm. that, and that is cool. I, I think at some point, the nerves go away a little bit um, because you're doing it so consistently and so often. But the feeling that, this was a very, very special experience and a big, big dream for me that never went away, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. How did you get picked uh, to be in their touring troupe? 
Um, after I did this Benchco show, um, it was like a year in between that and getting a call to understudy the touring company. So then I understudied for about 10 months and then it's kind of a crazy story, but I was working a day job that I didn't care for and I had given my two weeks, even though I had no backup plan, but I was done. And then, you know, I think three days later after giving my two weeks, I was interviewing for a new day job that I didn't want. And I got a call from Beth at Second City asking me to come in that day. And I walk in the office and she says, how are you doing? And I said, actually not great. I quit my day job and I don't really have a backup plan. And she says, okay, well, you start on Redco on Monday. And that was it. And then I walked in Monday morning to my shitty day job and I packed up my stuff and I said, I'm sorry, I can't finish my two weeks. I got the phone call for the reason I moved here and I have to be there at 2 p.m. today. And I walked and it was just the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm sure. It sounds like yeah. the 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 viral like quitting videos where where people quit in amazing ways. I feel like it was similar to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's just time to go. That's that's right. The end. Yeah, I'm leaving yeah. now. Um so when you go out on tour, how many people are in the touring group? Um usually it's three women, three men, and a musical director and a stage manager. Okay. So, so eight people. So you traveled everywhere. How long were you with this group? Oh, I toured for a long time. I think I toured for almost four years. Wow. Um, yeah. Wow, that's a long time. That's longer than I thought you were going to say. Yeah. Um, give or take, but it was around that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So with the touring group, you guys are doing like some scripted stuff and some improv stuff? Yeah, and then we also usually mostly only around the holidays, but we would also get to write our own sketch oh. and test that out in sets. And um, I think I did out of, you know, the three or four Christmas shows I did for them, um, I think at least two of them were fully original um, sketch shows, which is really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. Um, what's your favorite memory in all your years of touring or a memory that stands out to you? Um, the one that stands out, we were in New Mexico, which I had never been, and I love New Mexico, and I want to, like, retire there now. <laughs> um, and this was, like, three, two and a half, three years into touring full-time, and, you know, it gets a little old sometimes when you're eating Taco Bell and, you know, driving from theater to theater and then doing the tech immediately and then not being able to check into the hotel and then doing the show and then going to the hotel and then getting up at 8 a.m. and doing it again. Mm-hmm. And I was just kind of feeling a little run down and also a little self-indulgent where I felt like, you know, I'm getting paid to do what I love and I'm just like drinking beer at a dive bar every night. And, you know, a little bit of like, oh, is this, you know, I'm obviously it's not forever, but I was feeling a little bit down about it and we had just done a show in New Mexico I forget where maybe Taos um 
and somebody had tweeted at the cast to come to this bar. Um, so we show up and these people are immigration activists and they pull us aside and they buy us a beer and they say, you know, what we do is very, very hard and it's, we're hearing no a lot and it's so such hard work to try to change, you know, a bill in our country. And tonight we left harder than we ever have before. And now we're rejuvenated and tomorrow we're going to go back out and make a difference. And it's because of you guys, you guys and your show. And that was just so important to me to hear because, you know, I'm not a surgeon. I write jokes for a living, but laughter is healing. And if I can help somebody escape their problems for a second and just enjoy laughing, then I'm not a doctor, but that's still a service, right? Mm -hmm. And you're helping someone. And that was just a really, I just, I'll never forget that because I think sometimes we forget that this work is helping others. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though sometimes it's like, Oh, I'm the funniest and I'm booked this show and you get so wrapped up in the rat race to, you know, be famous or whatever you're trying to do. And it's like, at the end of the day, we're just trying to connect with somebody else. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with you though. I think comedy for sure has that ability to impact people and especially uh, change people's lives. Cause you have no idea what people are going through when you make a joke or they they come to a stand up show. I mean, and and it's like what you said is, is perfect where the comedians get wrapped up in their world. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we as funny people forget the, the point of being a comedian is to make others laugh. Right. That's why we do it. I mean, if, if right. there were no comedians in the world, Earth would suck. I'll tell you right now. It'd be yeah. terrible. So that's Well, and that's what I learned in that play, too. Tackling a topic like violence against women, where that's not a funny, ha-ha issue. Like, it's very serious. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a dramedy. There was very much this element of comedy and most of the scene work. And it was so insane to me how healing that was for anybody who saw themselves in those characters mm-hmm. to have that release, mm-hmm. even though we, it got, you know, pretty serious. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, so that's, that's actually a great transition to talk about that play. Um, and just how did it, how did it come about? Yeah. So, the final catalyst for me to actually sit down and unload this topic for me was um, I had a little, I had a break in a man broke into my bedroom when I was sleeping in it. And um, my boyfriend at the time was there and he had to, you know, fight the guy off, but you know, we weren't living together at the time. um, And it was just this moment of, oh, just, it was tough, mm-hmm. you know, when you're violated that way with privacy and the way this was done, it felt like it was somebody from inside the building, but like across the courtyard who had seen me and my girl roommate, Kathy move in recently. 
um, and knew that there wasn't a bar on the back window. Like, it felt very preemptive, um, kind of calculated. It wasn't that they were trying to take my jewelry. Um, it was a little bit more creepy than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you can't prove intent. So I had I could only charge him with criminal trespassing. But, yeah, and then going through a six-month process with the Cook County court system and kind of realizing how that is and how women, you know, with America and we have some privileges, but damn, it was very, very difficult to go through that time knowing that, like, you can't file for a warrant on the weekend in Chicago. So I had to go on a Monday morning, even though this happened on a Friday. And then when I get there, the whole place is filled with women filing warrants against men and we all have to say what happened to us in front of each other as if the doctor just took all his appointments in the waiting room mm-hmm. and being passed along to all these state's attorneys. And then it taking a month for the warrant to get cleared when this guy lived in the apartment building. Like it was just insane how uh, it just didn't feel like I felt like being a second class citizen and it was just very eye opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. I was just like, okay, this was a thing I went through, you know, thank God nothing actually physically happened to me that night, but the scars of that was still enough for me to sit down and make art with this instead of bottling it up, you know? So that was it. I, I took 48 hours to write the second draft. Um, I was actually on tour in Milwaukee and I just wrote for two days straight and then went to do the show at night. And um, it was a full-length play. There was nine different storylines because you can't just tell this story with one woman. It's all women. And it was so many. It was kind of sketch comedy style where we would switch worlds every scene. Mm. Um, so you kind of got little glimpses of the nine women in their before and after in the two acts. But then there was this modern dance element and I taught myself how to do shadow puppetry, like silhouette acting as a transitional device. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was everything and more. There was pre-filmed pieces, um, which was really fun to try to see what that would do. And then these projectors could project the whole width of the stage. So, it was just, it was so much. Like, it really was a little too ambitious, but we did it. And it was, the best part, though, was how the cast healed. It was almost a 30-person cast, um, you know, at St. Mary's, you know, next to Notre Dame. And they've had, I don't know if you ever saw that documentary, Hunting Ground. Mm, no, I'm not familiar. Um, yeah, it's very intense. Um, it's about collegiate rape statistics, um, and Notre Dame and St. Mary's are heavily featured, and um, it felt important and good to premiere it there um, and just see how, yeah, standing up and making art with this thing that no one really wants to talk about and how that healed the cast and the community and the school um, it was just the most life-changing, coolest, 
project I've ever gotten to do, mm-hmm. which is crazy to say because I've worked at Second City, um, but it was bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to say before before I even comment on that, just first, you know, thank God that nothing happened to you and that you're okay. Um, yeah. You know, because because that's a crazy story and a scary story too. Yeah. Uh, so just hearing that you were okay at the end of that, I'm very glad and grateful that that was the ending. Um, yeah. And and also it sounds and it just goes back to how we talked about of comedy's impact on others because it sounds like Mm -hmm. you know not only was it from what you were telling me not only was it very therapeutic for you to write this out but I'm sure you had many many people who not only participated in your production but who came to the production who it was therapeutic for them as well yeah and right before I went out to um start rehearsals um, I actually, I was so inspired by that work that I held a showcase at Second City called Found, and I had women um, performers from all over the city, whether they did comedy, storytelling, burlesque, um, any of it. They, I just had a variety show um, every few weeks where women came and they shared a piece of art, like a solo, that stemmed from you know, that experience or whatever sort of abuse that they've endured. And it was just so powerful, Mm -hmm. you know, to see the women owning their story and making it into art and sharing their voices, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, before all of this Me Too and Time's Up, which is wonderful. Um, I mean, this is like Me Too in real life, like I can touch it and I can see it and, um, very, very, very special. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it's so awesome to hear you talk about this and your passion for it and how you're using your talents to also help, you know, enact social change. I think that's so important and it's so great to hear that you're doing that. Yeah. That, that's, yeah, it's, it feels, it's like a true purpose. I don't know. Yeah. It's bigger than, Oh, I want to get paid to do comedy. It's bigger than that. It's like, I want to affect people and I want to help women. Um, I don't know, like towards the end of my time in Chicago, I would freelance direct a lot and coach. And I just got to a point where I was like, you know, I'm going to focus on, the female teams that need a director or the female improv teams that want to coach. And it just, I don't know. That was just where my passion lied and I just followed it. And I think that's okay too. You know, nothing against co-ed teams, but um, I just felt this need to inspire women first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And you just mentioned there, too, towards the end of your time in Chicago. So what brought you to an end at Second City? And then what brought you, because now you're in Los Angeles. So how did you end up there? Oh, yes. Okay. So touring was really that first dream of mine. And once I got it, and I did it for so long, I was always so afraid I'd never be ready to leave. I'd be like 50 and they'd be like, you need to give your spot up. <laughs> and I just would never want to do it. And then one 
tour. We are in Napa Valley, California, drinking free Napa Valley wine that the producer sent mm. around a bonfire at a resort on the beach, like high. And it was like all the things that are wonderful and like we've just done a killer show. And somebody said a story that I've already heard from them. And it was that, like something clicked in my brain and I go, oh, it's time to move on. Mm. Like I've, I've heard, you know, Joe, whatever, tell that story already. Like go, you gotta go. <laughs> like it's not that easy, but it was just like, okay. Right. Or when you go to the same venue more than once, you're like, okay, um, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just too much. Um, so yeah, I didn't, and again, just like the day job, I didn't really have the next thing planned out. I just felt that it was my time to step back. Um, and I followed that instinct and I had a beautiful last night. On your last night, you get to, it's like a living funeral. It's so insane, <laughs> but you get to do some of your favorite scenes. And I did all the scenes I had written for female only um, scenes. And then your castmates give speeches and then you give a thank you speech at the end. Um, it's very self-indulgent, but I loved it. And I said goodbye. And, um, and then I just became a freelance artist, um, cobbling together different things. And then I got the artist in residency. And then I actually did go back and um, do a cruise ship contract recently, um, July to November of last year just to save that extra bit of money to move out to LA. Um, so yeah, just, it was time to move on. Um, you know, I don't like goodbyes. I don't, I was very happy there. Um, but it just wasn't challenging anymore. It just felt safe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I understudied the stages, but I was never offered main stage and that's fine. You know, everyone's path is different, um, but there was really nothing else that I really wanted to conquer. Um, so I saved up some money and I I moved to L.A. So week three. We, oh, <laughs> you literally just moved to L.A. Week three. Yeah. So yeah. Do, you, do you like it more than Chicago? I mean, Chicago was your home for so long. I'm sure it's not going to over. I know. And nothing will ever, yeah. But you like, um, but I will say, yeah, yeah. I love the weather. Um, everyone I've met has been really wonderful. A lot of my friends from Chicago, you know, do live here. Um, so I already kind of have a community and a friend group. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough right now. I got, you know, I just, picked out a car and now I have a car payment and car insurance and rent is so insanely expensive. And, you know, I'm going on job interviews every day, like trying to find something until I start auditioning again. And, um, you know, it's, you're, a, you're not a big fish anymore, mm -hmm. but I love starting over. I think, I think everybody should go away from where they grew up at least once in their life just to, see what else is out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I love redefining myself and I, it's scary, but it's a new challenge and a new beginning and, um, I'm excited about it. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so now I want to talk a little bit about your stand-up uh, because yeah. it's it's very weird for me because your stand-up personality is like nothing what you're really like. It's, right. It's very, yes. it's very weird now because like I was exposed <laughs> to you for what, 10 to 12 minutes and then now I've been talking yeah. to you and I'm like, huh, this is totally different. And I will tell yeah. you, um, and you probably don't remember, but but I sure remember. And you you have a joke, and I won't spoil it for anyone who eventually sees you, where you ask three men to stand up in the audience. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? And yeah. um, uh, you you told me I was the first one that you told me uh, what you would do to me. Yes, so that's wonderful. You let me know. I was touched. So thank you. <laughs> I, was, I was honored. Yes. Yeah, so in comedy studies, we had to, we actually had an assignment for a grade to try stand up. And the philosophy with that program was, we're going to give you the assignment, you're going to fail at it, and then we're going to give you the key to the castle. So they never ever told you how to do it prior. You always had to kind of fall and then learn from the failure. Mm. Um, which is a really great thing. But at the time I hated it because I didn't want to be bad at this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did try to be myself. I did try traditional storytelling stand up. Um, the night before the assignment, we all went, it was my 22nd birthday and we all went out and went to a mic together so we could all try our homework out, you know? And I had a tiara on and a sash and all my friends from class are there. And I tell the audience that this is my first time doing stand-up ever, and I am booed uh, off stage. No, and I don't. I can't even tell you what happened. That was like I didn't say anything offensive. I just like was trying to tell a story about my grandma, and I kept mixing up my facts. And I, I just cannot tell a story like uh, I don't know. I just that style of stand-up was not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I go the next day to class. I do my set, whatever. Um, but then two months later, it's that summer after I graduated. And I just was like, I can't leave stand-up like that. Like, I didn't really give it more than one shot. Like, I need to try again. Because now they've told you the little secrets, right? Mm-hmm. So one, morning, one day I wake up at 3 in the morning. And I have, like, three one-liners that pop into my head. I write them down in my notebook. The next day I go to a mic. I literally just say three jokes and get off. And that was it. It got a reaction. It worked for me. I think I am a writer at heart more so than anything else. And with one-liners, I can very calculated. I can kind of keep the economy of words the way I want it and like really perfect the rhythm and I just really enjoyed that aspect of it. And then in class, we learned about persona for stand-up, and you don't always have to be yourself. And I, like, so admire people who can do that and can, like, wing it and crowd, do, like, crowd work and, like, never have anything planned. And they're just themselves, and they're, like, charismatic and wonderful. Um, But that just never really worked for me in that medium. So, yeah, I just started playing into this dry persona um and then the prop sort of came to play each year that book prop has gotten bigger and bigger Mm. so uh, eventually i want it to be so big that you can't even see me on stage like 
I'm just behind this huge book, like turning the page. Uh-huh. Um, so that's like a book, like a bit for myself where the book just keeps getting more and more obnoxiously large. <laughs> um, and then that was it. I just, and I've, I've had weird sets before in the last eight years, but I've never truly bombed since I found this persona and owned the one liner thing. Um, and it's great. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can tell you when, when, when you got up there for when I saw you, it, it, it was definitely like my first, cause you know, you have the book and I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, that book can't be real. And then you made it so, it was so convincing that like, this was the book of all your wisdoms and you, mm-hmm. you were sharing your wisdoms with us. And I'm like, Oh snap, maybe that is like her book. And then it was, I just, I enjoyed it so much cause it was so different than anything I had ever seen before. Yeah. And that's what I liked about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I think finding your own voice or what makes you different in the comedy scene is so important. Um, That's why I don't really ever spend too much time watching other people's tapes because I don't want to ever accidentally copy. And it's just so much about individuality with that stuff of like, yeah, what's my thing? Mm -hmm. And I've done it without the book and it still works because they're very well calculated Mm one-liners but the book is just my timekeeper and it's my thing and uh, I've gone back and forth but I'm like no I'm not gonna toss that because people are confused or they judge me about it it's like I'm not like other stand-ups and I think that's okay yeah it's my thing no matter what happens you go up there it's your five minutes to do with what you want and yeah so I'm not gonna like change my act because people are confused yeah you know yeah for sure so how many years in total have you been doing comedy oh i mean i really would have to say i mean 2008 when i took like my free class as an intern Mm -hmm. um yeah i don't know i mean besides always being class clown i think that was Maybe a little earlier, I did a few com- comedic plays in college, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Okay, so we'll go. We'll go with ten years. Um, so in the yeah. ten years that you've been doing comedy, like professionally, um, do you mm-hmm. feel like you have found your comedic voice? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely more so in the last few years, but. I also think that's tough, too. I mean, it's probably going to change again. Um, You know, I think having experiences so that you have something to say. I also think the older that you get, the more the better you'll be at it because you have that life experience and you have um, the wisdom to draw on when you're doing improv or stand up or whatever. Right. You would kind of have to like I always say the best comedians are a little broken like we've been through something you know I mean everyone has I guess um but we're the ones that are willing to own it and talk about it and make light of it and then relate to people from the truth Mm -hmm. um so yeah I think I have a pretty good handle on it but that's the other part of comedy and improv and all of that it's like there is no finish line Right. You're always in the process 
of growing and learning more. And I think that's why we all keep doing it, no matter how far we get in our career. Yeah, for sure. That's that's totally right. Um, and now as we start to wrap up the interview, I, I do have uh, one last question question for you and this is a question yeah. that I, I ask all of my guests um, because I love the different perspectives as everyone's come from a different background different skill levels they've been doing comedy for different time periods so I love asking this question because it's so interesting um, I hope I haven't built it up too much I hope you're not like oh boy <laughs> uh, but but the question is very simple it's just if you were uh, to give somebody who wants to be in your shoes one day one piece of advice, mm -hmm. what piece of advice would you give them? Hmm. Um, I think, I mean, the first, my first instinct is something I already said with the auditioning of um, just have fun. You know, just, I, you don't actually, I don't think you have to know exactly why you're doing the work, but you do have to believe that you, that destiny thing, right? Like that you have something to say or that you, you just have to be open, I guess. Um, it took me a while and I was a little depressed for like the first year of touring, um, like seasonal depression and I wasn't really fully feeling good about my comedy and la 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 but we have to be able to say what we want out loud I think a lot of people you know they do want to perform with Second City or they want to write for SNL or they want to do more TV work and I think as adults and as society weighs down we we don't say those things out loud because we don't want to jinx it or, oh, you know, I'm just kind of taking a class, but we'll see what happens. Like, no, say, call yourself a comedian, mm -hmm. like say it out loud because no one is ever going to believe you if you don't believe it yourself. And if you don't say it out loud, like I'm very much with like two years of therapy under my belt, I'm very much into the universe and being open for signs and I just, it took me a minute to remember that I am in control and I have so much power, but I have to be able to say it out loud. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely that. I, I love that advice and I'm definitely going to start incorporating that is being able to say out loud, you know, I, I am a comedian. I am funny. That's what yeah, I Yeah. Whether you're paying, getting paid or not, you're like right. I am a writer, I am a comedian, you know, just say it. And people will believe you, and then you'll get paid, you know? <laughs> right. You yeah. got to just, because you're, you're not going to slow down on your hustle. Like, everybody's doing it, but now you have to own it. Otherwise, go into accounting, yeah. because it's going <laughs> to pay you a lot more. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I'm definitely going to take your advice, because I really do like that. That is totally yeah. true. Um, well, Casey, thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, oh, thank you for having me. I mean, I I've learned so much, and I feel like we had a blast talking. I had fun. Yes, um, yes I did too. For uh, it, for anyone that's listening, um, what are some ways people can contact you or find out more about you or see you perform? Yes. So I just redid my 
personal website, www.caseywhitaker.com. Um, all my info, all my web series, my videos, my stand-up, um, my contact info, and even some of the services I offer as a freelance artist and pictures of my play, all of it's on there. So if anyone wants to check out any of my work, um, they can go to my website. All right. Yep. And once again, that's www.caseywhitaker.com. Um, so, Casey, yes, thank you again so much for being on the show today. And thank you for listening. Remember, you can visit us at our website at www.talkinglatenight.com. You can find us on Facebook at Talking Late Night. And you can also find us on iTunes where you can rate and leave us a review. So thanks again to Casey for being on the show. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.